Well, good morning again, and welcome to St. Paul's. We're so glad you're here this morning. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you send your spirit upon us now and that you drown this place in it, that you drown every listener in your spirit, that we would be surrounded by it so that what we hear, the words we hear, the words that are spoken, would carry you and show us the face of your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we ask it. Amen. I... Um, I wasn't raised a Christian, but when I was 22 years old, God spoke to me and it changed the direction of my life. God spoke audible words to me. At least I think he did. It's been so long now, and I've told the story so many times that I actually don't have the memory anymore. I have the story of the memory. And there's a big difference between memory and story because the stories that we shape from memory eventually take the place of memory itself. And so sometimes I doubt it. I doubt myself, like, did that really happen? Did I dream it? Am I embellishing it in my mind? And when I think about it, yes, of course it's true, it's this otherwise inexplicable fork in the road of my life, but I doubt and I wonder all the same. This week in our journey through E100, the hundred essential passages of Scripture that show the arc of the Bible is a single story. We're in the book of Judges, and it tells the story of what happens to the Israelites after they came into the land that God had promised them. It's the story, Judges is the story of a people who have lost the memory of what God did for them, bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Now last week, that's what we heard about in, in E100, if you were reading through. We saw the Israelites receive God's law. We saw them go through the wilderness to the promised land nearly 40 years, uh, 40 years after they left Egypt. And coming up this week in Judges, we have the story of what comes next. And it's a, it's a significant repository of some of the Bible's most gruesome stories. Left-handed assassins and murder by tent peg. Samson bringing a building down around him, Gideon's army of soldiers who drink like dogs, and at the end, a concluding episode of breathtaking brutality. And then in the midst of all of this, of this horror of the world falling apart, you also get these intimate moments of human tenderness and faithfulness, like the story of Ruth. Our passage from Judges 2 is something of a summary, that what we heard today is something of a summary of the whole book of Judges, and it's not a happy story. In fact, it bears all the unhappiness that marks this life of temptation and trial, of falling down and falling down and falling down some more. It's a downward spiral of a people who forget their God over and over and over, but it's also... It's also the story of a God who remembers his people over and over and over. That's, that's what this is. That's what the whole of the Bible is. The story of everything is what it looks like for God to be relentlessly faithful to a people who are relentlessly faithless. And in Judges, in the people's wandering from God, you can see the familiar contours of humanity's original sin. 
So if you're following along with E100, you'll recognize the, the similarity, the, the harmony of the notes here. It's like how Adam and Eve forgot God and wandered away from God, even in the middle of the beauty of Eden. It's like how the people who left slavery in Egypt through a highway that opened up through the ocean got to dry land and started complaining about the food. It's like how a people who heard the voice of God on the mountain and who trembled and who received God's law five minutes later are bowing down to a golden cow they made. What we see in the book of Judges is this historical depiction of the conflict that's always raging, ceaselessly raging in every human heart. It's a picture of our proclivity to stray further and further from God who is our beginning and end, even when we know better. This is how we act. This is who we are. Let's look at our reading today and its specifics. We're in Judges 2. As I said, it's a summary. It's a precy of Judges. God, calls, God has led the people out of slavery in the wilderness, and God has brought the next generation out of the wilderness into the promised land, giving them safety among their hostile neighbors. In our staff discussion about this passage, Ian observed that the Bible should have ended here, could have ended here, because God's fulfilled his covenant with Abram. We talked about this a few weeks back. God promised Abraham that he would make his family into a nation and that he would give them a place to live, a people and a land, and that's done. And judges, that's done. But the Bible doesn't end here because human beings are human beings. And now this new generation has risen up that doesn't remember what God did in Egypt because they didn't see the wonders. They didn't hear his voice. They don't have that memory of God. They just, they just have the story of this invisible God of their parents. They had the story and they had his law. And maybe they believed the story about Egypt and the wilderness and the law coming down from the mountain, but they didn't believe it, believe it, you know? And if you don't believe, believe the story about God, you're sure as heck not going to keep God's law. So surprise, surprise, in Judges here, they turn to the gods of the neighboring peoples. The Israelites, they're supposed to be this priestly nation, this nation that will reveal the God of the universe to all the other nations. That's why God calls them. But they chase after these local demigods instead. Because an idol might be powerless, but at least you can see it, and you can hold it. And we are silly creatures. And that's how they fell. They didn't keep their covenant with God. They didn't keep their part of the deal. Now, God doesn't give up on them, though, because God's sworn by God's self that he's going to keep this covenant. And that means that this covenant is now indelibly tattooed into the flesh of the universe. But God can't make the people be faithful because that's not what faithfulness is. It's not coerced. And so begins this cycle of agony of them falling away and crying out, and then God coming back. He raises up judges. Now, a judge in this context. A judge in this context is not a, a person in a wig and a robe and a ruff sitting on a bench. A judge is a combination sort of military, religious, political leader who did listen to God's voice. And so when the judge led the people, things went right. And the land had rest. But then the judge would die. And the memories fade until only the stories remained, and the people's faith was tested, and the people's faith failed, and they fell away, and they cried to God, and the cycle began again. 
I said that Judges was a historical depiction of the human heart. And I think that's what this book means to us, that we read this history and we interpret it spiritually. We understand what it means for us, spiritually speaking. And I suspect that most of us can see ourselves in the description that we just heard read. Because maybe you've had some kind of encounter with God sometime in your life. Maybe just once in in a long, long life. Maybe you heard something, or you saw something, or it was just a feeling. Maybe it felt like you'd stuck a finger into the electric socket at the heart of existence. Or or maybe it was just a, a calm, quiet certainty that God was real. Maybe you've had a moment. A moment. But then the memory fades, because that's what memories do. And then you fell away because that's what people do. We fall. We fall away from God. We're not so different than the people in Judges. Not really. They forgot God, and they fell, and then they got back up, and they fell even harder than before. And maybe you know what that feels like. Maybe you know what it feels like to have something good, and then just like watch it slip through your fingers. The diet that ends with a binge, the sobriety that ends with a bender, the restored relationship that ends with a blowout fight. And I wonder where you've fallen, because we've all fallen. We're no different than those people than judges. And if we're no different than those people, what hope do we have, really? By all rights, the Bible could have ended at judges, and it would have if people weren't people. But people are people, so they didn't keep the covenant. And this is a story about people's faithlessness, but even more so, it's a story about God's faithfulness, that the story of everything is the story of God's faithfulness. And in the end, it's God's faithfulness that's our hope. Just like the hapless, tragic people who stumble through the pages of Judges, because the Bible doesn't end at Judges, the story continues a thousand years and more. When in the fullness of time, God takes on flesh, God becomes a human person in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, alone among all the people who have ever lived, Jesus was perfectly faithful to God. Jesus kept the covenant with God. Take a step back and realize the full implications of this. God made a covenant with Abraham at the beginning of recorded history. We heard about this, right, a few weeks back. That Abraham's seed would bless the whole world and Abraham's children would be faithful to God. And God swore he would keep that covenant. But a covenant's like a tango, it takes two. And Abraham's children didn't keep their side of the deal. So in time, God himself becomes a person, becomes Abraham's descendant, to do the very thing that Abraham's children couldn't do. He doesn't force faithfulness. He does it. The ultimate faithfulness of the God of Abraham to the covenant he makes, the scope of God's love for us is that he keeps both sides of it. God's side and humanity's side. It's like if you made a financial deal with someone and they couldn't pay up and your response was to have them adopt you, so you could pay the family's debt. That's where the story of falling and rising goes. It goes to Jesus. Jesus who who does for all of humanity what we can't do for ourselves. 
It's this cosmic embrace of this faithful, unending, limitless love. God the Father and God the Son who became man, gathering all of creation back to God through God the Holy Spirit. And there is nothing and no one that is excluded from that reach. And here's why this matters if it's not clear. Why it matters is that it means that in the end, everything's just grace. There's nothing else. Grace meaning what God does for us, not what we can manage to do for ourselves. Grace meaning how good God is, not how good we can make ourselves to be. Grace meaning how faithful God is, not how faithless we are. So do you have doubts? Do you have questions? Do you stumble? Do you think you worry that your faith's not good enough, it's not strong enough? Nobody's faith is good enough. Nobody's faith will ever be good enough. We're saved, meaning we come to God by grace. Through faith, yes, but by grace. It's the grace that's strong. God's grace is strong. In Jesus, God has done the work. There's nothing I get to add to that. So no matter how strong or not your faith is, it's the strength of the grace that matters. And what's done is done. God has kept the covenant. So when you fall like the people in Judges, and that's a big win, not an if. When you fall, you don't reach for your bootstraps. You don't dig down deep for that extra bit of strength because your own strength isn't how you rise. You will never be strong enough, and that's okay. Actually, it's not okay, but God is gracious. When you fall, when you fall away from God in your own life, with your loved ones, at your job, in that illness, with your, Ill, with your struggles, when you fall, you look to Jesus because he died and rose for you and it is his rising that will lift you up. I just said this isn't about your own strength, and that's true, but paradoxically looking to Jesus takes effort. It's actually really hard because everything in us wants to rely on our own strength to solve our problems because that's how we deal with the rest of our life. Even though our own strength will always fail us in the end, always, because no matter how strong you are, for every one of us, there's going to be a day where you fall and you don't get up again. You can get by on your own strength for a while, but at the end, all we've got, all our hope, is what God has done for us. When you grow up near the ocean of the Great Lakes, you learn about rip currents. Rip current, for those who don't know, is a fast current that develops between breaking waves and it goes straight out into the open water. And you can be swimming near shore and get caught in one and suddenly you're way out to sea before you know it. And a mistake that inexperienced swimmers do is to panic and they try and swim back to shore but then they're swimming against the rip current that's got hold of them and nobody's stronger than a rip current because a rip, a rip current doesn't get tired and that's how people even really strong swimmers drown fighting against something they can't see and can never beat until they've got nothing left that's what it's like to try and fight our way to God through our own human nature, this sinful nature that pulls us out to the deep and drags us down. Nobody's strong enough. Nobody will ever be strong enough. The way you escape a rip current, though, is this. You, 
He swam out of it. Out of it, not into it. Not back to shore like you want, but you swim sideways, parallel to shore. You swim sideways, out of the current that's trying to kill you, and into the still waters where you can be rescued. It takes effort to remember to do the counterintuitive thing. But spiritually speaking, that's what we need to do. Instead of fighting directly, we turn, we swim sideways, turn to the place of our rescue, which is grace, which is God's faithfulness. So what's this mean, practically speaking? Well, it's about cultivating a habit of calling on God, not just for the big things, the big moments, you know, making the team or getting into university or getting that job, beating that illness, but the thousands of small movements that make up a day, how minute by minute, breath by breath, our hearts want to fall away from God, want to forget God, want to forget the reality of God and what God's done for us in our anger and our lust and our laziness and our greed and our pride and our vanity. Bishop Jenny preached a little bit ago. She said, you know, every time you fall away, it's because I've forgotten the truth about God. And that's what we do. The story of Judges is just a historical depiction of what's happening in here. So when you fall, swim sideways by calling out to the one who has proven himself faithful, who catches you up in that embrace of grace. We pray the, pray the prayer of a single breath, an arrow shot to heaven. Jesus, have mercy on me. Oh God, help me. Because you know he's true. You know he's true. And the other thing, practically speaking, is that you hold tight to those places in life where God shows up. Because if you don't, if you don't pay attention, there are plenty of gods surrounding us. The people around us will offer us gods, and they are shiny, and they are pretty, and you can hold them, and it looks like they're going to be okay, and they will distract you, and they will captivate your attention, and you will forget, forget the invisible God who has done great things. So hold tight to the places where God shows up, where you remember what God has done and who God is, where you remember that God isn't a story, but a living presence. I'm talking about the sacrament of the Eucharist that we're about to receive. I'm talking about reading the living word of Scripture. I'm talking about praying by yourself and with other people. I'm talking about serving other people, especially those who need it most. Other people made in the image of God, just like you. When I was 22, God spoke to me. At least I think he did. But in the end, it actually doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether I had my special moment with God. Because even if God never spoke an audible word to me, Jesus kept the faith that I never could. And Jesus died for my sins and rose from the grave. And what Jesus did for me, this is my only boast, my only hope in life and death. And though I fall, I fall, I fall, he is risen. Amen.